0: There are sometimes when people come to to Jesus or come to faith, sometimes there's questions or issues or problems that they might take uh, at some of the things that the Bible says or the claims about Jesus or about Christianity. And so we've been just trying to walk through some of those things. Uh, Week one, Pastor Corey talked about the reality that when we come to Jesus, he instantly creates a personal problem for all of us. Because uh, if we go to, to what the gospel says, the gospel claims that we are all sinful, fallen, depraved human beings. And I don't think any of us really likes that idea that, hey, I am sinful and fallen and I need saved. And so that, that can be a tension for people to have to get over. Uh, the second week, Pastor Corey talked about the resurrection of Jesus and how we can't be neutral on that. How we, either Jesus stayed dead or he didn't stay dead. And if he didn't stay dead, then that means something uh, very, very dramatic for us and for the world. Uh, last week, Pastor Corey, he asked the question, can I live my life based on 2,000-year-old t- information? And so just process through the problem of can we, can we trust the scriptures? Are they reliable and whatnot? And talked about uh, are they historically uh, reliable, and do they fit into history? So those are the problems we've been kind of talking about. And today our problems going to uh, kind of overlap with some of those things. But today we're going to be talking about miracles, and we're going to be talking about, uh, basically, this problem. The Bible expects me to believe in miracles, but science has disproved miracles. Hasn't science disproved miracles? Like, we live in the 21st century in America. Isn't that kind of the, the idea that people have? that, Like, yeah, maybe ancient people believed in miracles, or maybe naive or gullible people, maybe they see miracles all the time, but, but we have science. So hasn't science disproved miracles? And so that's what we're going to be talking about, along with some other questions, because we're going to talk about that really quickly, and we're going to then process other questions like, why did Jesus perform miracles, and do miracles still happen today, and what about when we ask God for miracles and they don't happen? So there's a lot we're going to talk about today, and uh, like Pastor Corey said last week, today's going to be a little more teachy than preachy, and we're going to have to go through it pretty quickly. There's just a, a ton to get through. And so I'd encourage you, if you have a question about today, uh, if I say something you're like, that's wrong, Andrew, please, I'd love to hear that. Go to the follow along, submit a question. We would love to process that more with you. All right, but let's dive on in. The first question is, has science disproved miracles? You know, like I've already said, that's kind of the, the modern day mindset. And that's kind of been a mindset that's been in our, in our culture and society for a long time now. Uh, one of our founding fathers, uh, Thomas Jefferson, he he loved the ethics and the morals of Jesus, uh, but he went through his Bible, and there's, there's a, a copy of this in the Smithsonian Institute, you can see it's called the Jefferson Bible, and you can purchase one, but he went through the claims of Jesus, and he took out all the supernatural accounts, because he said, you know what, I can buy into all of this moral stuff, this is good, but I can't buy into this supernatural stuff, because that doesn't happen. And you can go to the Smithsonian Institute, you can read about it, look it up. But that my idea that, hey, science has disproved miracles has been around for a long time with us, especially here in the West. But I would just want to quick examine what is science and what is a miracle? Because uh, depending on how, what they are and how they relate really determines if science can actually prove or disprove miracles, all right? And so this is, this first part's We got to get our thinking caps on. I know it's still early for some of us. Maybe you haven't had coffee yet, but you got to think a little bit with me, all right? So we're going to dive in. What is the... We're going to put up a definition of science, all right? And this is a definition from dictionary.com. You can go there and find it. And science is systematic knowledge of the physical or material world gained through observation and experimentation, all right? So science deals with the physical, material world, The natural world, things that are observable, repeatable, experimental, you know, the laws of nature, deals with biology, deals with cells, deals with stars, deals with with that kind of stuff. What about miracles? What's the definition of a miracle? And again, this is taken from dictionary.com, and a miracle is an effect or an extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. All right, so what do we see there? We see that a miracle, it it takes place within the physical world, but it's ascribed to what? To supernatural causes. So right here, we have two, just at the core of what these things are, we have two very different things. Science deals with nature, where a miracle claims to be something that is not natural. It claims to be something that is beyond nature, something that is supernatural. All right? And so... I believe, and there's a lot of people who have written on this, that science, because it only deals with natural things, something that is supernatural, lies outside of the realm of science. And so, therefore, it can't prove or disprove it. Now, I have a picture to put up. It's a a circle, all right? Let's pretend that circle, it's all of the natural world, all right? The whole universe, all right? And that universe of the natural world, that's what science can measure, It can measure uh, uh, different things about uh, cells and biology, and we look at the stars, and we can just measure all these sorts of things and do experiments with them. The supernatural would lie outside of that, and it would stick itself in. Now, maybe you're thinking, uh, does that argument really work? Well, I'll tell you what, there are other things that lie outside of the realm of science that you and I already believe in. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't buy miracles. But there are already other things that I guarantee you believe in that science cannot prove or disprove. One of the first ones is the idea of beauty. With science, we can study the sunset. With science, we can study the ocean. With with science, we can study a forest. But science can't tell you how beautiful a sunrise is. Science can't tell you, wow, look at how majestic that starry night is. Science can't explain why we can pick up beauty in a song or in a story or in a poem. And yet, I guarantee you all of us in here experience beauty all the time. And yet it lies outside of what science can study, outside of what science can measure. Another one is the idea of ethics and morality, all right? Every single person has an idea of what's right and what's wrong. Science can teach me all about the human body. But science can't tell me why it's wrong to murder somebody. We all know that's wrong. We know it's wrong to lie. We know it's wrong to steal. And yet science can't measure that or prove that or discern that because it lies outside of its boundaries. And so there are things that we, all of us, buy into and believe in and experience that lie outside of the realm of science, and science can't prove it or disprove it. Science can't prove or disprove disprove beauty. It can't prove or disprove morals or ethics. And so I believe that science can't prove or disprove miracles either. They're just two different categories of reality. Now, that, that statement, I don't know how it sits with you, it still doesn't answer the question, do miracles happen though? Like science might not be able to disprove miracles, but it still doesn't mean they happen, right? Like we have to follow that logical path. So where I want to go with this now, I want us to go look at scripture. I'll start there, all right? And look at what does the Bible claim about the miraculous? Because if you flip through scripture, and a lot of us in here, we, we have Bibles, we've been Christians for a long time, we know that there are stories of miraculous things. And uh, Oftentimes in the Bible, you'll find God doing miraculous things, but he'll use the natural things he's already created. If we go to Exodus 14, we find the story where God leads his people out of Egypt, and he parts the Red Sea, and they cross through it. In Exodus 14, 21, it says this. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind, all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. so what split the Red Sea? Was it God? was it wind? What happened here? There were natural causes, and yet God they claim is behind it and oftentimes in scripture we see that where god's where miraculous things happen. But God uses the natural order around them. We can, study, we can, we can uh, study the effects of wind with science and whatnot, but how often does wind part an entire sea? I've never seen it. Has anyone ever seen it? What about the timing? Like, they, like maybe that's a natural phenomenon, but Israel shows up and it just, boom. Like that's, that timing is miraculous. And so God has to be behind it. But the idea is, if we, if we buy into the God of the Bible, if we believe what the Bible says about God, then logically, miracles make sense. We should expect that God would be able to perform miracles because of the very nature and relationship he has with creation. In Genesis 1-1, we see that God, he is the creator of all things. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he's created it, so it makes sense that he would be able to interact with it. In Psalm 135, 6 and 7, we see some of the nature of this reaction that the Lord has. It says, The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. So he's the creator he is now also, now he, has, he can move in and out of his creation, doing what he wants with it. He, it says he does whatever pleases him. Like it's no big deal. Like he can just do whatever he wants because he's created it. But our God also intimately, he knows his creation down to each and every little detail. And Jesus makes this point in Matthew 10, Matthew 10, 29 to 30. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. He's talking about our heavenly father. He knows every little sparrow that there is. And he says, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So if we, we look at just, and these are just a couple verses. There's so many we could go to throughout scripture where we see God is the creator. He is the sustainer of his creation. He knows it intimately. He can do what he wants with it. And if that's his relationship to the natural world, it would make sense that he would be able to step into it and change things when he wanted to, right? Think about a computer programmer. Now, I don't know much about computer programming. I have tech issues with everything, and so I will never be able to write computer programming code or whatever they call it. But I know that a computer programmer they write uh, a program, or they use code, and they, they do different things, and they put that program into their, the machine, and it does different functions or whatnot. And they might pro- have a really awesome program where that program can, uh, depending on what happens, it can do this, depending on what happens, it can do that. And in our world, there are natural laws that God uses to govern his world, where if this happens, this generally follows, and if that happens, this generally follows. But a computer programmer, they might look at their program and say, yeah, I actually wanted to do this today, or I wanted to change and do this. And so they can step in and they can rearrange and reprogram things so that what they've created can do something differently. And we have no problem buying into that idea, that a computer programmer who's the creator, the sustainer, who intimately knows what they've made, can make changes to it as they will. If we buy into that the God of the Bible is real, and that creation is his program, so to speak, he's made it, it makes sense that he could step in as he wills and says, you know what? I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Now, I want to quick just examine the miracles of Jesus, just do a quick snapshot of them, and then I want to ask why did he do miracles? Because God can do miracles. I think that logically logically makes sense if we believe in the scriptures. But why did he do them? Like, why? All right? So with Jesus, there are different times where he he does all sorts of miracles. But we have 31 separate miracles of Jesus recorded in the gospel accounts. All right? There's 31 of them. Some of them are repeated in different gospels. Um, Some of them aren't. Uh, Like one may be in just Matthew, one might only be in Luke or whatnot. Um, There's only two miracles that are in all four. The the resurrection is that, and the other one is the feeding of the 5,000. A lot of them are repeated in, in multiple Gospels, but if you look at all the miracles Jesus did throughout the Gospels, there's 31 separate accounts. And you can break them down into different categories. There's healings, there's exorcisms where Jesus casts out demons, and there's nature miracles, where Jesus walks on water, or he, he multiplies bread, and, and it feeds lots of people, or whatnot. And it's interesting, when you look at those three areas, uh, you have healings, uh, the decay of, of human body, you have uh, exorcisms dealing with the demonic, and you have uh, nature miracles dealing with our broken world. And aren't those the things that Jesus came to, to restore? He came to combat the, 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 the brokenness of sin in the world, first with, with humanity and, and our brokenness, but also against the powers of, of darkness, but then also just the brokenness of the natural system, that, the way sin broke it. And so Jesus has power over all of these things. But why did he do them? Because if we boil all of his miracles down, there's only one that's actually really necessary right? It's the resurrection. Jesus didn't have to do all of these other miracles in order to die in our place. The only one that we actually need is the fact that Jesus died on the cross and then rose again. We don't necessarily need to know that he walked on water. I'm glad I know it. I think that's super cool, and I'd love to be able to do that someday. But like, it's awesome that, that we know these things, but why, why did Jesus do them? Was Jesus just walking around trying to entertain people, like a street magician or illusionist? Was Jesus just trying to make people's life here on earth better, just make everyone healthy and wealthy? Was Jesus just trying to impress people? Was he trying to make people happy? Like, why was he doing these things? And I think there's a couple, a couple reasons. Uh, the first is this. Miracles led to teaching opportunities, Miracles led to teaching opportunities. In John chapter 6, you can read about when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And it's an awesome story. He feeds, he, he takes just a couple loaves of bread and some fish, and miraculously, they get multiplied out and feed 5,000. And this, the text says there were 5,000 men there, which indicates there were a lot more people than just 5,000 because there have been women and children. Like, this is, this is miraculous, that night, Jesus, he, he steps away from the crowds. He goes off to be by himself. And the next day, the crowds, they're looking around for Jesus. They're like, where is he? Finally, they find him, and they, they come up to him. And Jesus, he says, he know, he, he's like, I know why you're here. He's like, you're not here because of the signs I did, meaning the miraculous things I did. You're here because of the food I gave you. So Jesus kind of calls them out a little bit. Like, you're not really here for me. You're here for the handout. And I'll tell you what, if someone's multiplying food, like, I'm there for that free food, right? Like, that's awesome. So, like, I don't blame the crowds for wanting the free food, all right? But they're there for the wrong reasons. And so Jesus says, all right, you wanted that food I gave you yesterday? Today I'm going to tell you about food that lasts for eternity. And he goes on to teach them about the bread of life, which he calls himself. And so he, he draws back to, I fed you with bread yesterday. Now let me tell you about a better source of food, which is me." And so the miracle helps lead to a teaching moment. Another reason why I think Jesus does miracles is miracles helped authenticate his words. They helped prove that he was who he claimed to be. In Mark 2, there's a story, an awesome story of a paralyzed man being healed. And many of you have heard that story. If you haven't read it before, I'd encourage you to go read it sometime. But his friends, they, they bring this paralyzed man to a house where Jesus is teaching and it's so crowded, they can't get into the house so they they climb up on the roof, they, they open up the roof, which would have been, just imagine being in that house or right now and the roof just starts caving in, like I'd have been terrified. But they lower him down in and Jesus, he goes up to this paralyzed man and you'd think the first thing he says is, get up and walk. Because that's gonna wow everybody, right? But that's not the first thing he says. The first thing he says is, Your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders who are there are like, they're talking to themselves like, how can you do this? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knows what they're saying. And so this is what happens. In verse nine, it says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Sometimes actions speak louder than words, right? And so Jesus, while the real thing the man needed wasn't to walk, his deepest need was to be forgiven of sin. And yet, when Jesus says, get up and walk, it amazes everybody, and it authenticates that he had the authority to forgive sin. So miracles helped authenticate his words. Lastly, I think miracles were signs that were to point people to Jesus as the one, as the one to put their faith in. John 20, 30-31, it says this, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. All right, so time out. So throughout the Gospels and New Testament, the idea of signs, they, they, after Jesus performs a miracle, especially in the book of John, it says, and this was his first sign or his fifth sign or whatnot. And so that idea of signs is meant to mean m- miracles that were done. And so John, who's writing this, says, hey, there are many other signs of miraculous things that Jesus did. They're just not recorded here, right? So it's not like Jesus got to 31 uh, miracles and was like, oh, I'm done. No, he did many more, but they're not recorded. But then verse 31, it says this. It says why he did these things. He says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Notice, John doesn't say, hey, Jesus did all these things because they were really cool to watch, because they just amazed everybody, because he was just, he was just so powerful. He was just like, hey, I'm going to do this, like zap, multiply bread. Like, No, he did it for a specific reason. It wasn't just to make people's life better here on earth, although it did do that. It wasn't just to um, impress everybody. He did it for a specific reason, which was to point to people's deepest need which was the fact that they are we all are sinful human beings who need a savior and there ha- is a savior who has come and who has done miraculous deeds and what does john say so that we can have a life in him so that we can believe in him as our messiah so scripture makes it very clear that miracles happened Or at least they happened back then. And if you buy into uh, what Pastor Corey shared the other week about the historical claims of the Gospels and how they are reliable, and if you haven't listened to that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. But the claim is that, hey, the supernatural is real, and that it does, and it has happened. But what about today? Like, Jesus did miracles, but did miracles continue Like, is there? Is there? Did they stop with Jesus? Well, as we go through the New Testament, we see that miracles continued to happen with the apostles and the early church, but but that was two thousand years ago. What about today's? Are miracles still happening? Um, To help with this, there I want to show you a picture of 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 a a book. It's by a guy named uh, Dr. Craig Keener, and Dr. Craig Keener. He was an atheist before he became a scholar, or before he became a Christian. Today, he is a scholar and an author, and he wrote uh, what's like the magnum opus uh, study on miracles. It's not this one. He wrote a 1,200-page book, actually two books, that are where he goes through the, the historical counts of the Gospels, and he talks about. Stuff way over my head about science and miracles. And then he talks about just dozens and hundreds, if not thousands, of miraculous claims from today. From all over the world. From Asia, from Africa, from the Americas, from everywhere. He talks about miraculous claims that are, some of them that there are just eyewitnesses. Other times there are. there's video footage. other times there's X-ray evidence, there's doctors, sometimes there's miracles where, where it just happened uh, someone gets hurt, and then instantly they're healed. Other times someone is hurt for decades, and then they're healed. And I just wanted to share a couple stories from this book, because this is his smaller work, something that uh, a person like me would want to read, because it's smaller. Um, it's about just 250 pages, not 1,200 pages. But still, in this work, he shares dozens, if not hundreds, of just these stories. And they all are cited. It's like he cites where you can go. You can go talk to many of these people still today. Many of them have a doctor, eyewitnesses, video testimonies, just all sorts of things. And I just want to share a couple of them. But before we get there, as we hear these stories, I want you to just step back and think, where are you at when it comes to the miraculous? Do you have a predetermined yes or a predetermined no to miracles? And what do I mean by that? A predetermined yes means whenever I hear about something miraculous, I just instantly, oh yeah, that was a miracle, like that was awesome, like it's just this idea that I don't really have any discernment, I just buy into every claim. And I don't think that's good because there are people who lie about miraculous things. We can be gullible, and I think we need to use wisdom and discernment because I don't think every claim is quote-unquote miraculous But there's enough claims out there that I think we need to be aware or be cautious of a predetermined no. And what I mean by that is some people have already decided, without looking at the evidence, they've already decided the supernatural is not real, therefore miracles can't happen, therefore it doesn't matter how many eyewitnesses, it doesn't matter how much evidence there is, it could not be a miracle. And both extremes are dangerous, and not good. If you went to a judge who was ruling over a court, and they just all the time just were like, yes, 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 like on every case, or no, 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 on every case, like if they came in with a predetermined yes or a predetermined no, we would say that judge isn't doing their job, right? We would say that they shouldn't be a judge. They're, they're doing things wrong. They need to look at the evidence, and that's, that's what I want us to do. I just want us to look at the evidence. and and decide, is this miraculous or is this not? And again, I can only share just a couple stories. The first is about a lady named Dahlia Knox. There's a picture of Dahlia and her husband. Dahlia was injured in a car accident, and she had nerve damage in her legs. She had paralysis. She couldn't walk for 22 years. Now, Dahlia, she was a singer, so she would travel around. So her condition was, was... is public knowledge. Like people for 22 years saw her in a wheelchair going around singing. Because she was injured for so long, their doctors knew about her case. They, they knew what was wrong with her and she, she couldn't walk and she would never walk again. But Delia one night goes to a healing service where someone prays over her and she begins to get up out of her wheelchair and starts to walk. Now, she needs help at first, but she starts to walk, and pretty soon she's walking all by herself. And this service was captured on video. You can go online, you can look up Delia Knox and the healing service, and you can see how she gets up and gets out of her wheelchair and walks. Now here, Greg Keener presents this, and then he says this, he says this, it's a little lengthy quote, but he says, how can... One explained the disappearance of paralysis after 22 years. Since Knox was now obviously able to walk, some internet critics insisted that she had simply faked paralysis for 22 years so she could claim healing now. They were actually suggesting that someone would endure more than two decades of not walking in public just to claim a miracle later. This sort of skeptical speculation convinced me of only one thing, that some hard skeptics will go to any lengths to avoid believing. Some who demand evidence are really not open-minded enough to accept any. Before my own conversion, I was an atheist, but I valued truth enough to want to follow where the evidence led. Fake miracles exist, but this one cannot qualify as such. I like this quote because he, he points out that predetermined no mindset, where it doesn't matter that there's... 22 years of evidence that she can't walk. It doesn't matter that there's video footage. It doesn't matter that there's doctor's notes. It doesn't matter that there's video footage. It doesn't matter that there's, that there's any of those things. She, of course, faked it. Because a person would do that for two decades. Another story is about a boy named John Smith. And there's actually a movie that came out about him. It's a movie called Breakthrough. And, uh, did anyone see this movie? Just Just one other person? Okay. All right. Well... Go home and watch it if you want. I don't, if you did see it, I don't know what you thought about the movie. Um, but if you dive into the evidence uh, or the information about the movie, it, it's, it's, it's credible. Um, what happened in the movie, it actually really did happen. Now, John Smith, uh, in 2015, he was 14 years old, and he was playing on the ice on a lake in his hometown with some friends when he fell through the ice, all right? His friends get out of the water. They, they contact emergency personnel. Emergency personnel show up, but they can't find John's body. Finally, 15 minutes later, John has been, he's been under the ice for 15 minutes. They finally pull him out. His heart is stopped. He's not breathing. They take him to a hospital. And there at the hospital, uh, emergency personnel um, try to resuscitate him for, for, for over 43 minutes when they finally call it and they say, you know what? This boy's he's died. He hasn't breathed in over an hour. Uh, his lungs are full of water. His body is shut down. He, he, he's not alive. So they call John's mom into the room. They, they tell her what's happened, and they tell her that she can say goodbye to her son. And so she goes in, and in her grief, she prays out loud. And this is attested by the doctors who were there. She prays out loud that, that her son would be healed, and instantly the heart monitor starts working. And the doctors rush in, and they've gone on public record that this was a miracle. Because these are doctors who have seen people die. They know when a dead person is dead. And they, they, he hadn't breathed in over an hour. And yet his heart begins to work. Now they, they, they have to take him to another hospital where he can get even more treatment. Because at this point, they're like, wow, a miracle has happened, but he's probably not going to survive the night. John ends up surviving the first night. Doctors say, well, he's probably not going to survive the second night because all of his organs were shutting down. They say that, that his, his muscles were, like the cells in his muscles, I don't know how this works, I'm not a doctor, but they, they were breaking open and, and like all the, like his body should not have worked. Everything was failing and yet he survived the second night and the third night and the fourth night. And here is a quote from Dr. Garrett who was John's doctor. He says, he says this, it says, Dr. Garrett notes that within two days of reaching the hospital, John began opening his eyes and soon could answer complex questions. Sixteen days after John entered the hospital, he walked out of it carrying his basketball and was soon back to playing sports. Apart from initial physical therapy for the fine motor movements with his hands, John's brain function was otherwise entirely normal at the time of his discharge. Those are two stories out of hundreds if not thousands that could be shown that are similar. And my question is, what do you do with a story like that? In this room, I know I've talked to different people about the miraculous things that have happened even within our church family. Maybe things that aren't quite as as, uh, documented as things like this, but things that are miraculous. A number of years ago, my oldest brother was in a car accident and the first responders that got there, they thought he was dead. And uh, it's crazy the, the way everything panned out, how just he, he broke his skull, he broke his sternum, he broke his ribs, he just had all, a brain damage, they, they weren't sure if he was going to survive, they weren't sure if he would have mental capacity, they, it was just all these things, and throughout the whole time, there was just all these just things that are just, I can't explain why he's still here today or why he's able to function, because if you met him, you'd have no idea that he was ever in this major accident. And so there are miraculous claims, things like John's story, things like Dahlia's story, but then there are other things, even here locally within our church family, that if we gather all these stories, I think we have to do something with it. And I personally believe that they point to the fact that, yes, miracles do still happen even today. Now I have one more question for us, and I... I appreciate you guys uh, bearing with me today. I know it's been a lot. But I have one more question because maybe you've been tracking with everything and you're like, yeah, I'm a believer. I've seen something miraculous. I'm with you, Andrew. But there's one more question that I'll tell you what, this question, I'm still wrestling with because of different things in my life. I, I wonder about, and I guarantee you there's other people in here, believers in here who wrestle with this same type of question. And it's this. What about when miracles what about when miracles don't happen when we ask god for something miraculous when we pray and people stay dead or when someone with the disease doesn't get healed i prayed for my brother so much when he was in his car accident and i believe that god miraculously healed him and brought him back to, to where he is today but i've also prayed for other people and they died I've prayed for people who've been sick and they've remained sick. People who've lost loved ones and whatnot, who've prayed for, for them or people who've lost uh, f- f- friends and we've prayed for them and we've cried out our heart and they the miracle doesn't happen. How do we reconcile that in our brain? Especially when we have all these miraculous stories and claims. And so I just really quick want to go through just some so hopefully something that's helpful and a good perspective. But the first thought is this. Miracles are what we want, but they're not always what we need. Miracles are what we want, but they're not always what we need. We live in a sinful, fallen world where our king has come and he's proclaimed that the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet fully here, if that makes sense. Because the Bible claims Jesus came, but in his second coming, he will come uh, for good. And everything will be righted and, and fixed then. But right now we live in this kind of in-between time where there's the miraculous and where we see the kingdom of God like sticking through, but then there's also sin and suffering and times where we pray and God says, no. Because in a sinful, fallen world, we don't always need miraculous. Sometimes we need something else. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, uh, Paul prays. He prays and asks God to, to, to take away something. He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was giving a thorn in my flesh, a, message, a messenger of Satan to torment me. How pleasant does that sound? <laughs> that sounds terrible. We don't know what that is, we don't know exactly what Paul's describing. But in verse eight, he says three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. This is the apostle Paul praying. Like if anyone could claim like, yeah, I'll pray. God will hear me. God will answer me. It's the apostle Paul. And he prays three times, but in verse nine, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's Jesus talking to Paul so Paul prays and asks that God would miraculously take whatever this thing is away from him. God says, no, you already have what you need. It's my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul goes on and he says, Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul realizes that, you know what? I don't need this thorn taken out of my flesh. I need to trust in Jesus. I have, he's with me. His power can Now be shown through me because I am weak. I can't take any of the glory. It all goes back to him. And so I believe that miracles can help strengthen our faith, but so can times of difficulty. Miracles can help amaze us and like, wow, I need to follow after this God. He's real. But also difficult times, they're tests that put us through the ringer where we say, you know what? Am I trusting in God or am I trusting in me? Am I trusting in God to just do something miraculous? Or am I going to trust God even when he doesn't show up? And even when he says, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you, Andrew. And I'll tell you what, that's not easy to swallow sometimes. Because I would like to see a miracle. And Jesus is like, you know what? You already have what you need. Miracles also can help us help us believe in Jesus But suffering can help us live like Jesus. Jesus himself, think about it, our Messiah, our Savior, the one we claim to follow, suffered for all of us. And yet that was God's will and God's plan. And sometimes... Uh, When God just shows up and does the miraculous, it's easy to sit back and like, oh, God's going to take care of it. Whereas his followers, he wants us to be engaged and wants us to go share the gospel to the world. He wants us to be like him and to serve others. And you know what? When life is easy, it's easy for me to recline and sit back. But when life is hard, I have to get up. I have to be engaged. And suffering puts me in a situation where I have to choose. Am I going to be selfish or am I going to choose to live like Jesus? And so I think sometimes the suffering we go through is actually, God realizes, is what we need. It's not fun, but I think that's a reality. I also believe that miracles can help the gospel go forth, but so can times of persecution. Miracles can help the gospel go forth, but so can times of persecution. Um, I'm not going to read it because we, for the sake of time, but in Acts chapter 8, um, read it later, the church uh, isn't spreading out, going into the world, being Jesus' witnesses, like they should. And so the church becomes persecuted, and that persecution is what drives them out into the world. And so I think sometimes God allows us to suffer and to be persecuted so that we as his followers can carry the gospel into a sinful, broken world. And Craig Keener, in his book, he kind of talks about this. Um, he points out that miracles are not always necessary here and now, um, as they might be in other parts of the world. Because in other parts of the world, the gospel is just breaking through. There's other parts of the world where, where people, there aren't churches, where there are, and there are, the Bibles aren't readily available, and people have never heard the gospel and so Craig Keener, in his book, he recounts uh, missionary stories where they're like, yeah, I see these things, these healings, these exorcisms all the time because the gospel is just getting here. I don't know where you, what you think about our country, where it's at, the state of it or whatnot, but the gospel is here. There are churches, there are believers all over the place. And so I think sometimes we might think we need miracles here, but there are other parts of the world where I think It's actually more necessary. And it makes sense why in other parts of the world we might see that happening more often. There's more that could be said about that. Get Craig Keener's book and read it. It's really good. But to sum up, uh, or one last thing, and it's this reality that things will not always be this way. Things will not always be this way. We live in a time where there are stories of the miraculous, but alongside every miracle, there's a story of suffering. There's a story of death, there's a story of pain. But that's not how it's always going to be. And so as Jesus followers, we have a hope in, that lies in the future. And in Revelation 21, we read about this reality. and, and this is what it says, <coughs> excuse me, Revelation 21. The miraculous things that happen right now, the miraculous things that Craig Keener writes about in his book are all pointers towards this day. They're all pointers to the fact that we have hope in the future. There is a God. He is here. The gospel is here. We can send it out. And even if we suffer, we have this to look forward to. And so, just lastly, I want us to, to land with this idea that our hope does not lie in a miracle. It lies in our Savior and what he did at the cross, and what he's going to do in the future. Sometimes, I know I can be like this, I can be like the people in John 6, where I want the free meal, and that's all. God's grace is already sufficient for us, as he said to Paul. We already have everything we need. The one miracle that we needed, most of all, has already happened, and that's at the cross and the resurrection. All the rest are amazing gifts that just point to his glory and goodness and to this coming hope that we have. And so if you're here today, and if you have prayed and prayed for a miracle and it hasn't happened, first of all, I want to say, don't stop praying. Our God is real. He can step into his creation. and He can do things. And he does. Don't stop asking. As his children, he wants us to come before him as his children, speaking to our Father, asking him for these things. But also recognize that the greatest miracle has already happened. And the greatest miracle has been given to you, the gift of salvation, if you are a Jesus follower. But if you're here today and you're still struggling with the claims of miracles, I would just ask you, do you still have a predetermined no in your life that needs reckoned with? because there are miraculous claims all around us. And again, we shouldn't be gullible, we shouldn't be naive, but we should be intellectually honest. And that might mean that, hey, there is a supernatural God who wants to come into your life, who wants to offer you the gift of salvation. And if you wanna know more about that, please come talk to me afterwards or talk to someone else you know. All right, guys, as the band comes up, I'm gonna pray close us in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the gifts that you give us that seem miraculous to our eyes, but thank you for all the more gifts that you give us just each and every day, where you sustain us through the laws of nature, where you sustain us through your everyday graces. Lord, I know I miss out on thanking you for those things all the time. Even the fact that we live in the country we live in where we have access to to the medicines and the technologies that we have. Lord, that in and of itself is a miracle. So thank you for that. May these miraculous things we do see in our lives and we pray for happen so that they point us to you. And may we trust in you as our savior. May we not worship the gift, but may we worship the giver. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen.